You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. I'm a miracle man. Oh, I love it. Don't expect me to preach a sermon in a series called Signs and not show you a scene from one of my all-time favorite movies. Look, I know, we've all been hurt by M. Night Shyamalan at some point <laughs> or another. Um, the, the, the premiere of the live-action Last Airbender still haunts me. <clears throat> but I think we can all agree he had a strong run back in the early 2000s with signs at the top of the list for me. So I want to ask you, what kind of person are you? Do you see luck, chance, or do you see signs? Do you believe in happenstance or the miraculous? Because see, there is a movement recently to explain away and discredit the miracles of Jesus Christ. People think that he just hid some powdered wine drink mix in the bottom of those stone jars before the servants filled them with water. Or that the miracle of feeding the multitude was really a miracle of sharing inspired by the little boy's generosity. Do you see luck? Do you see signs? Because a lot of people, they like the preacher and the philanthropist Jesus Christ, but they're not so hot on the Son of God, Lord of Lords version. A lot of people like to take Jesus and fit him into a box, a box that makes sense within what we can understand with our natural perception of him. But John is very clear about why he includes these seven signs in his gospel. They're there. These miracles are are written so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of Kings. We're not supposed to be able to walk away from these signs and think of Jesus as merely a good moral teacher. He's so much more than that. Someone who says the kinds of things Jesus said, you can't ignore that. You can't disregard someone that says, get up take your mat and walk, come out of that grave. And at some point in this series, you might come to the end of your natural understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And when that happens, I pray that your preconceived notions, that maybe even some of your misconceptions and your natural limitations on who Jesus is would just be blown out of the water. That you'd experience what R. Kent Hughes says when he says there's a time in life when common sense is very close to, to, to stupidity. That in this, in our time together today, that you would meet the supernatural Jesus, the one whom the wind and the waves obey the sound of his voice, who commands disease, demons, and even death. You see, in each of these signs, we, we have something revealed about who we are and about who Jesus is. And I'd ask you to do something for me today, for you. Would you take that box, whatever, whatever limitations you've put on who Jesus can be, and would you just set it down? And would you pay attention to what God might want to show you about yourself and what he wants to show you about who he is? You guys ready to jump in for our next miracle? All right, here we go. Well, just like every good story begins with a conflict Every good miracle has a problem, you know? Like, we ran out of wine, my son is sick, I can't walk, the donkey broke down. So what is it this time? We're going to be starting our teaching text in John chapter 6, right at the beginning in verse 1. If you want to follow along, we're going to be there all day today. 
Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Now, other than the resurrection of Jesus, this is actually the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels, which helps, gives us another vantage point on what's going on. Mark actually tells us why Jesus is heading across the Sea of Galilee. They got an Airbnb rental on the eastern shore and a little business retreat scheduled to get away from it all. They have been going nonstop. In fact, Mark tells us so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. Man, have you had a day like that before? You didn't have time to eat lunch? Where every interruption is infuriating. When people ask you how you're doing, all you can manage to get out is busy because who's got time to process emotions? If you think you're busy, Jesus was busy. He had an entourage following him around wherever he went. He couldn't make a move without his whereabouts being blasted out to the fan sites and a crowd, an ever-growing entity following him around wherever he went. And they've tried. They've already tried getting away multiple times, but every time their boat touches down on land, the crowd's already there waiting for him. And so it happens again. And Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? So what's the problem? The food trucks are closed. We've got a hangry mob on our hands. And just when they think they've made it away from the masses, there they are on the other side of the shore waiting for them. Now, Jesus could have done a very different miracle here. He could have turned to Philip and said, hey, you want to see a magic trick? I'm going to make this whole crowd disappear. And we'd all be reading about the deleting of the 5,000 today. <laughs> but that's not what happens, right? No, he turns to Philip and says, what are we going to feed these people? What's really interesting here is he sees them. Like, he really sees them. He looks up at the crowd and it's not this mass, it's not this blur, it's not this inconvenience. He sees them as individuals, and he gets them. He relates to them. He feels their pain and their brokenness in this moment. Mark tells us in his account of the story that he looks up at the crowd, and he had compassion for them. Do you guys think God sees you like that? Do you believe that Jesus has compassion for you. It could be hard to imagine that the God of the universe could care about our smallest struggles, right? Like maybe you even feel silly praying about things like, God, would you help me find the keys today? Or could you help me with the bills? And yet, the Jesus that we see described in the book of Hebrews is one who gets us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. I just want to tell you this morning that Christ has compassion for you. He does. He sees you and he gets you. He feels your pain and your brokenness. He wants you to invite him into every inconvenience, even into your smallest struggles. Like kids, they know how to pray like this. They see a spider, they lose a toy, they, their hot chocolate's too hot. They're praying. There's no prayer too big or too small for a child to pray. And I just wonder how many, many miracles we miss 
because we underestimate the compassion that Christ has for us. But the challenge here isn't just to receive the compassion of Christ, it's also to extend it to others as well. Do you see the people in your life? Do you see the person holding the sign on the street corner? Do you see the loneliness in your coworkers? Do you see your spouse's desperate need for affection and to be cherished? Do you see your children's desire to be encouraged? Do you see people? Because the reality is, just like Jesus, we can be so busy sometimes, there just doesn't seem any space for that kind of thing. And that's kind of the point. I would even say inconvenience invites compassion. The compassion never comes at the right time. And Jesus here perfectly illustrates to us the difference between empathy and compassion. Empathy is simply feeling someone else's pain. Compassion is actually doing something about it. And I want to give you guys two questions today to expand your capacity for compassion to help you make room and see the people in your life. Here's the two questions. You start asking these, people are going to love getting together with you for coffee. If, you, if maybe you have not had a lot of luck getting dates on the calendar or people following through with meetings with you, start asking these two questions in every single meeting. One, how are you doing really? It's really important you get that really in there too. And then two, what can I do to help you today? You st these are not questions to reflect on. They are not to journal about later at home. This is for you to open your mouth and speak them to people that you need to see more. And if you want a real exercise in what it's like to be like Christ, ask those questions to someone you would consider an enemy. But Jesus sees the crowd. He feels their pain. And he pushes pause on their weekend getaway. And he turns to Philip and says, what are we going to do about this? And Philip takes out his calculator and answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. The text tells us here that there are 5,000 men. But when you add in the women and the children, the best estimates put this crowd in the 10 to 15,000 person size. That's a packed house at the Extra Mile Arena. That's a lot of hot dogs. And Philip is looking at their dwindling tip jar and wondering if they should start charging for miracles. He can only see what they don't have. And how many of us do the exact same thing? When we're faced with an impossible situation, all we can see is what can't be done, what we don't have available to us. The doctor tells you the odds, your spouse serves you papers, the numbers on your bills are bigger than the ones on your paycheck. And you're just like, I, it can't be done. Like, I've done the math. It literally, this cannot work. And I just wonder if those two words, it's impossible, were spoken before every single one of the 37 miracles that Jesus performed throughout the Gospels. And if, man, someone had to say those same words, it's impossible, this can't be done, with every modern miracle that's happened ever since. See, I think when we say it's impossible, that's when God's like, that's when I do my best work. Like, let me into this thing. Just watch what I can do. 
And if you are in a situation today in your life that feels impossible, would you hear Jesus' words to you that what is impossible with man is what? It is possible with God. That should change things for us. You throw away your calculators, right? Like, that should completely change the story. That should change the way that we pray. Like, we can't use the same metrics that we use with man anymore if we really believe that what's impossible with man is possible with God. You see, he doesn't operate inside of the normal and the natural. So we can't, we, we just throw all of our facts and figures and timelines out the, out the, out the window. Because he's not working like that. You, you only may make so much on your paycheck, but God doesn't need your paycheck to provide for you. The doctor may have said you only have so much time left, but maybe God's got different plans. Just ask Nathan York. He was told he had six months to live almost two years ago now. He is a living, breathing, walking miracle who goes to your church. And if you're, yeah. And if you don't believe in miracles, you got to meet this guy. Shake his hand and say, tell me your story. And better yet, ask him how he prays. Because if you believe that what is impossible with man is possible with God, it will change the way you talk to God. You won't just be asking for God to bless your meals and give you a good night's sleep anymore. You'll be asking him to do things you couldn't possibly accomplish on your own. Man, if there's one thing you could take away from this series, would you start to pray the impossible? Would you invite just God to do things you could never possibly do on your own power, with your own resources? Would you ask God to heal people, to open blind eyes, to save the lost? And as your prayers get bigger, I'll tell you what, your perception of God is going to get bigger too. I've heard it said that a life without prayer is a life without power. And if you think the miracles and the miraculous are just something limited to the stories of old, you got to start praying big prayers and just watch how God comes through. Well, Andrew watches Philip fail miserably, and then he steps up to the plate, and he's like, I, I think I got this. Give me a try. So another one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So then Andrew, the most holy of the disciples, <laughs> walks up to Jesus, and he's got this little kid he's pulling by the hand, and he's like, I mean, he's got a couple Uncrustables and some goldfish. Is that anything? And the hesitation in his voice makes me think this wasn't actually his idea. I think that little boy saw exactly what Jesus did. He saw the people. He saw their hunger. And he was naive enough to believe that he could do something about it. So he found one of the men that he had seen close to Jesus, and he ran up to him, gave him his sack lunch, and I don't even know if Andrew would have brought him to Jesus if his mom wasn't watching over his shoulder. Do you believe that God could use you? Are you naive enough to believe that God could take whatever you have and do far more than you could imagine with it? 
man, I wonder just how many churches were never planted, how many missionaries never made it on that first flight, how many people never realized their calling simply because they thought to themselves, I can't do this. Like, what do I have to offer? What difference could I possibly make? Are you naive enough to believe that God could use you? When's the last time you took a risk for the gospel, that you put yourself in a situation where you'd be in trouble if God didn't come through? Because that is miracle territory. This is where God does some of his best work. When you face a problem so much bigger than you, that all you can do is run up to Jesus and say, come on, we've got to do something about this. As we see in this story, little in the hands of Jesus is more than enough to accomplish his work in our lives. And what is so unique about this particular miracle is the way he includes other people in it. He's not like, all right, everyone sit down, stand back, the master has arrived, and just starts like slinging tortillas to everybody. No, he... It does, the miracle doesn't even start until the little boy brings him his lunch. And then even then, he asks the disciples to be the one that pass out the food. Like, do you believe that God could use you? Maybe you could simply start by believing that God could use you here. Instead of showing up to be fed, would you stand up out of your seat and start passing out food? Something we say around here is everyone's got a job to do. And this isn't about babysitting. It's not about just filling roles and getting tasks done. We want you to figure out how God has uniquely wired you to fit into his kingdom and be a part of his purposes in our world. So if you don't have a job to do around here at Hill City yet, man, we, maybe today the, the thing that you can do is just sign up to serve. Just start exploring your calling here. We're actually going to have representatives from every ministry hanging out in the lobby who would love to talk to you and figure out a sweet spot where you fit. And I'll tell you what, when you find that spot, the one that you were uniquely created to fill, it's not, it's, it's not a job. You, it's exciting. It's energizing. You, you can't wait to get to be a part of what God is doing here. And so if you don't have a job here, if you've never served here, would you consider signing up to serve today and seeing how God might want to use you? I'll tell you what, with the addition of a 1 p.m. service, we have got a lot of room for new kids volunteers to join us. And there is no better ministry to be reminded that you were created for big, important things than working with children. Just like the kid in this story, for the rest of his life, he will never forget what Jesus did next. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish, and when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets left over. Now, think about how crazy this is for a minute, right? Like, Jesus hasn't explained what he's doing. The miracle hasn't happened yet. This kid just runs up with five flapjacks and two dried fish. He takes the lunch, and he's like, all right, everyone sit down. We're going to pray for dinner. And I just imagine this is one of those prayers where no one has their eyes closed because they're all just staring at Jesus like he's lost his mind. 
waiting who's going to get to go first. And then he says, amen. And they start passing out the food. And the first person in line gets a whole loaf and a whole fish all to themselves. And the sixth person in line is like, hey, portion control up there. And yet they serve him. And then the tenth person and then the 50th person, and they keep passing out the food, and it just never runs out. This, this isn't like one of those shock and awe miracles where it all happens at once. Every time a disciple's hand goes into a basket and pulls out another loaf, everyone just would have been losing their minds, cheering like it never stops. And they keep passing it out until everyone, thousands of people have been served. And then they call for seconds and for thirds. And these are people who, they know hunger, not just because it's been a long day on the hillside with Jesus, away from the food trucks. They know hunger because it's a part of their lives. This maybe is one of the only meals they have had where they were full, like Thanksgiving Day stuffed. And they got more than enough. But that's how Jesus does things. He doesn't just give everyone enough to scrape by he doesn't dissect a crumb and a fish bone for every person. Here we see the abundance of our God. And Jesus has more than enough love and grace for everyone. It's like it describes him in Ephesians chapter 1. In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You see, God is not stingy with his love. He is not cheap with his grace. Maybe some of you have been picturing a puddle when you think of God's grace that runs dry whenever you mess up, whenever you make a big enough mistake. It is an ocean. You cannot even fathom the heights and the depths of his grace for you. And I think someone in here today just needs to hear that you cannot out-sin and you cannot outrun God's love and his grace. For you, maybe, whether it's the first time or the thousandth time, today you just need to receive God's grace to experience his abundance and know and feel his love be lavished on you. But the story's not over yet. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. It's Passover season. People have been talking about the stories of old, you know, recounting tales of the miraculous signs that God did to free them from Egypt. And then Jesus shows up. And he starts pulling food out of thin air, not too unlike Moses and the manna in the wilderness, right? They also probably would have been thinking about a story with Elisha, where Elisha fed 100 men with far less bread than they needed and just a few apples. And so their natural conclusion is, Jesus is a prophet. I mean, he's just like Moses and Elisha. He's the prophet, and we should make him our leader. We should make him our king. And while what they say with their mouths is 100% true, they completely miss the kind of king that Jesus was. You see, their whole world was so wrapped up in the corruption and the oppression of the Roman government. 
Food was a daily struggle, and if you wanted to eat, you had to work. And if you wanted to work, in some way or another, you were impacted by this broken, unjust system. And yet, here's Jesus. And he just, he can make food whenever he wants. And with this guy, we don't have to live like this anymore. We don't have to live under the oppression of the Romans and follow their rules and give to their taxes anymore. I don't have to take the bread out of my kid's mouth and give it to a Roman tax collector. I can just, Jesus can make me lunch. And like so many of us, we like to make Jesus who we want him to be. We like to fit him into what makes sense for us. We want to make him king because of what he can do for us. But the thing about making someone a king is it means that they're the ones in charge. We're actually following their leadership. And maybe today there's a part of your life that you've been holding on to, that you've been holding back. Maybe there's a secret sin, maybe a toxic relationship. Think about the things that Maybe you haven't quite been willing to share in life group yet. Maybe there's something there that you have been holding back. And today, would you give Jesus access? Would you give him authority? Would you make Jesus king of your life, your whole life, every part of it? And maybe for you, you would consider making Jesus king of your life for the very first time today. Maybe the only person you've trusted to be in charge of you is yourself. And I just got to ask, like, how is it going? Because what we see from the story is Jesus sees you and he gets you. And he wants you to invite him into every inconvenience. And his grace is an ocean for you. His love is lavish for you. And he gets how you work because he created you to be exactly how you are. And when you make Jesus the king of your life, that's when you get the life that you were always made for. And so if you've never made that decision, man, you can make Jesus your king today. You know, we think of a knight like bowing or taking a knee before the throne room, but our act of surrender is baptism. And if that's something you want to do, we've got plenty of water and we would love to welcome you into the family of God. You can pray a prayer and ask God to forgive your sin and to be the Lord of your life today. But maybe some of you are here praying a different prayer. God, you just don't get it. Like, I've thought it through. I've crunched the numbers. I've calculated the odds. It, does, it just doesn't work. It is impossible. This doesn't work. How am I ever going to make it through this? That's exactly how Elizabeth Elliot would have been feeling after she got the phone call on January 8th, 1956, where she found out that her husband had been killed, leaving her behind with a 10-month-old daughter. Maybe you've heard the story. Jim Elliot was a missionary, and he and some friends made contact with a remote tribe in Ecuador. And after several friendly encounters, they decided to go and visit the tribe's home until they were cut off by some of the tribe's warriors and speared to death. And just two years later, Elizabeth and her now three-year-old daughter, Valerie, moved to Ecuador 
to live among the tribe and teach the children of the tribe that had taken her husband from her. And her living, breathing example of the gospel started to tear through that community. And before too long, some of the men who had taken her husband's life were now giving their lives to Christ. And I want to leave you with some words from Elizabeth Elliot today. If the only thing you have to offer is a broken heart, you offer a broken heart. Nothing I have, nothing I am, will be refused on the part of Christ. I simply give it to him as the little boy gave Jesus the five loaves and two fishes with the same feeling of the disciple when they said, what is the good of that for such a crowd? The point is, the use he makes of it is none of my business. It's his business. It's his blessing. So do you have nothing to give? Then give that, because your nothing plus God is everything. We need to believe that God is big enough, that he wants to help us, and then we must give our problem to him. May we set aside our pride and give it all to him. And in this last song, you don't have to stand up. You don't have to sing along. But would you listen to the lyrics and just try and see yourself in this story today? Would you bring to mind maybe some of those things that you've been withholding, that you've been holding back from Jesus? Maybe it's a part of your life you haven't given him access to. Maybe it's something you haven't let him be king over. Or maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your, your gifts. Maybe it's your resources. Maybe it's your wisdom. Maybe it's the life that you've lived. But whatever it is that you've been holding on to, if at some point in this song, you're ready to give that back, to put it in the hands of the master, would you just open your hands as an act of surrendering it to God? And would you just watch as he does the impossible? Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.